Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and other people of the internet. Whoever's listening, I guess dogs, cats, if you're putting it on speaker. Anyway, this is Man Beth Jesus. Can, can fish hear? I I don't know. I feel like probably. Well, I guess it's a this is not important. This is Man Buns and Jesus, season four. If this is the first time you've ever listened in, uh, this introduction is actually fairly it's fairly on theme for what this show is. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laborius. I'm a pastor out in Eastvale, California. Uh, and the other voice uh, on the podcast, if you do happen to be watching the video, the other face on the screen is Pastor Benjamin Olschlager. He is a pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church over in Lake Orion, Michigan, where I presume it is colder than it is where I am. I'm sorry about that, Ben. What are we talking about today? It's honestly a pretty nice fall day here in Michigan, so I'll take it. How many degrees is it outside? Uh, I think it's about 60. Oh, that's not too bad. That's no. actually, you're right. That is a pretty nice day. Yeah. It got a little overcast, so we'll see if the temperature drops now, but <sighs> it was supposed to be a pretty good day for fall. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 65 degrees out here right now, so. Yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. doing a whole lot better. That's you're not doing a whole lot better that's now our high for today is 81 degrees so we'll get there i think our high is 62 so yeah well yeah um anyway now that we've updated you on the weather for this day we're recording yeah before you'll actually hear this oh and fish can hear oh good good now we know yep so to any fish listening to this podcast too welcome um if you're a beta fish don't kill your neighbor yeah (laughs) so today we're talking about um power and the thing that brought it up there's this guy named mike bickle um not pickle bickle with a b uh and mike bickle not pickle uh founded this organization in Kansas City, Missouri called the International House of Prayer. Um it is also shortened to IHOP and I'm pretty sure that they got sued by the International House of Pancakes for that. Um but I I don't know what you're going to do with that. So anyway, um IHOP is mostly designed as kind of a spiritual retreat for people. Um, within the facility, they've got people that will dedicate uh, time with you to just prayer and uh, worship. And um, there's a room there where there's a, a 24-7 worship service, uh, or at least there used to be. I don't know if it's still going. Um, 
and the whole idea is you can just come and pray and worship and uh, encounter God in worship and rest. Um, and because of that, that aim and some of the early success that that place found in terms of helping people just find some rest in their faith and, and experience God a little bit. Um, Bickle started to gain some popularity and some, we'll call it clout in the evangelical world. Um, and that led to issues. And there are now some very credible um, accusations made against him. Nothing's official yet, uh, or nothing is, is fully like. Hasn't become a lawsuit yet. No, it's, I think there's already maybe some legal actions in, in the works, but um, he has not been declared guilty by a jury of his peers. Um, so alleged is the word that we'll be using for yes. everything Ben just said. Yes, alleged. all of this is allegedly. Um, but there are some relatively credible accusations of sexual impropriety by Mike Pickle, not Pickle. Um, and allegedly. And uh, again, by all accounts, he started as a relatively faithful guy with a relatively faithful purpose. Create a place where people can come and worship and pray and get an experience rest and encounter God. And somehow that led to power and that power corrupted him and so today we're going to talk about how power corrupts because within the church um we see instance after instance after instance of people in leadership roles abusing their abusing their role um, and in my, in my opinion, in my very humble opinion here, Josh, uh, from my perspective, so much of that is just caused by power. It's not all necessarily like legal or documented power. Some of it's just like, now I've got cultural influence and, and clout kind of power. Um, but it's all power and it gets to people's heads and it causes problems. Um, <clears throat> I think it's what's led to so much of the, the sexual abuse issues within, uh, churches across the world. I think it's why, uh, one of the places where you see the, the most, uh, cases of embezzlement are in, uh, churches. And I think it's why we'll see a lot of faithful Christians gain positions of leadership in their Christian communities and cease to be the same faithful Christian that they were beforehand. Not to say that they've lost their faith, but just to say that it's corrupted them. 
And so we want to look at today, like what, what is power? What is it like? What is it doing? How are we to, to live in that realm? Because um, as much as it would be great to just like create a society where we didn't have to give everyone, anyone power. And this is honestly God's ideal is we create a society where no one has any sort of power and we all just humbly submit ourselves to God and live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but we also all know that we're fallen and broken sinners and that's not going to work because someone's going to try and take advantage of that system. Um, and so what do we do in the here and now with power? Josh, I think, uh, I think we start with the, the definition here. So uh, if I had nail something down, at least how, well, yeah. So at least with how we're talking about it today, because obviously like power is also a scientific quantifiable term, right? It's, I want to say it's force exerted over time or something. Uh, I used to know the formula for power, but I, I don't anymore. Um, or maybe it's the potential for force exerted. That's not what we're talking about. Um, also, there's power in like raw power, right? Which you could talk about electricity. You could talk about people who are physically powerful. Also, not what we're talking about today. Um, the context we're talking about power, I and I think this is a good way to describe it is. Uh, you're right, by the way. It's work over time. It's work over time. Work over change in time. Well, so I wasn't right because work is also defined. I think work is is core. It's like it's it's relative to force, but I don't work in force. Work is the same thing. Work is force exerted over change in time. I think. So it's force over change in time squared. Hang on. I'm going to keep going down this rabbit hole. Anyway, when we're talking about power, ultimately, we are talking about the ability to do things, the capacity for action. Um, so in the small term, right, I have the power to get up and walk out the door behind. Me. I have the power to do that. Um, when you're talking about people in positions of authority, they have the power to do a lot more and their power starts to include other people now in response to some of the things you brought up in the introduction ben um i want to remind everyone here that while the church has issues with this the church is not we've not, not cornered the market on it yeah right look at hollywood and how many of the people, the producers and people in charge in Hollywood have got, I, I don't, I haven't heard, I didn't hear what you said. Um, Ray Weinstein, the guy that. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot There's more like, of them, right, have gotten the same sort of trouble. And it's because in their sphere of influence, they had power and they've used it. Now, where I'm going to push back on you a little bit, Ben. I don't know that power causes corruption. I think that power gives an avenue for corruption. 
So, and what I mean by that is this, hmm. the cause for people abusing their position and, um, and you get these instances of sexual abuse, you get these instances of embezzlement, you know, whatever, pick your poison for how people are misusing their power. I don't think it's the power's fault. It's sinful nature that I, I suspect was there the whole time, right? These good Christian people that suddenly aren't good Christian people. The sinful nature was the, there the whole time. It's just once they got into a position of power, they could actually act on it. And yeah. I'm not saying that, like, say someone who gets into a position of power and then they commit uh, sexual indecency. I'm not saying necessarily they wanted to, to do that the whole time. But I would say that their nature, maybe that was something they were inclined to, and the and their power gave them the freedom to do so. So I, I wouldn't say necessarily power corrupts, but power gives you the opportunity to act on your sinful nature more fully. So for, for example, right, if you were in charge of no one's money but your own, you may have the the tendency you may have like it might be within your nature to steal money from other people but you have no ability to do so short of like actually robbing someone but most of us draw the line before that suddenly you know fast forward a few years and you're in charge of a budget for an organization you now have the actual ability to embezzle money from someone so I don't know that I would say power corrupts. I would say that we are corrupt and power lets us act out on it. Um, I think it also exposes. And this is where I think. Yeah, the, I think that's fair. The idea of power corrupting comes from is that like you may not necessarily know of a flaw in your character um, until you are put in a position of power where that is possible. like. There are people who are perfectly reasonable and, and lovely people, and then you put them in a position of power, and they just become like the worst kind of authoritarian dictator possible. Um, like, Yeah, and I would say, maybe put it this way, power makes whatever you are worse. Or it highlights, so if you are, say you are a very generous person, and you're given, like, you're genuinely a generous person, and then you're given a position of power. I, I suspect that in most of those instances, that generous person will continue to be generous on a larger scale. However, if you have a tendency to cut quarters, cut corners, and you get into a position of power, you're going to continue to cut corners. Your The consequences for doing so are just going to be exacerbated, right? Um, and I also don't want to discount, I know there are people who pursue positions of power so that they can abuse it. I think that's a little bit of a different conversation, right? You, you set out with the intent to do wrong and acquiring power was your avenue to do so. Yeah. Um, in regard to your, your question, you kind of closed the introduction with, right? Uh, what do we do with it? I think part of this is it's really important to have checks and balances in place. Yeah. Because 
Before we even get to that, though, because I do want to, I do want to hit on that conversation, but I want to circle back to that at the end. Okay. So we've got power. We've got this this ability or influence uh, that allows us to manipulate things, people. Now I'm using manipulate here in the the like spatial sense, not in the relational sense. The like you have the ability to change things. Yeah. Um, you have authority that is that has been given to you uh, over things. Um, man, I shouldn't use that word because we're yeah. Gonna say let's later. say power because yeah, you have the power in a minute for things. Um, and like we've talked now about how it can highlight you know deficiencies in your character that were already pre-existing. It can also expose deficiencies in your character that you didn't really know existed. Um, it can amplify deficiencies in your character that already existed. So what are some of the signs for a faithful Christian who finds themselves in a position of power that they are starting to struggle with their power? Uh, this is a thing. I don't know if you can self-check. Like, if you're saying, what do I look for myself that I'm losing it? I think once you, I I almost say it's more of a switch than it is a gradient. And once okay. you've lost it, you can't. You lack the ability. So you need people around you who can say, your attitude is starting to shift. And I want to segue this into the power versus authority conversation. Because, and... This isn't necessarily like an official, this is 100% what it is, but this is how I perceive different things. So with that kind of in place. This is a delve into the inner Josh. Dangerous. Yeah. Don't worry, Dark Josh is still locked up in the cage. We won't meet him today. Um, he's not allowed out. Uh, <laughs> For all of our best. Yeah. Um, so power is taken and power is power is I am a boss, right? So this in a church setting, this is where you get kind of CEO pastors. You get, I am in charge. My word is law. I have power. Authority is given. And the attitude of someone with authority remains i am a servant so power is i have the power to do things authority is i have been given the ability to do things right that's how i'm drawing this line so a difference would be a pastor who goes in they say i need this to happen at the church so they demand it they say this is how we're going to do things um and a lot of times that'll come with some sort of ultimatum that gives him the power he needs. The example of authority would be the congregation coming together saying, this is the direction we want to go. And the pastor is kind of in charge of doing parts of that. So the congregation gives him the authority to accomplish what together we have said, this is the direction we're going to go. So that's, that's one kind of example of how this might play out. And the differences are subtle. I want to clarify something on that before you jump too far ahead, because there are times where a pastor will come into a situation 
that needs fixing and might have to put a foot down. Like, if a congregation has an unhealthy habit, has an unhealthy practice, has a, you know, heretical teaching that's pervasive in its culture, um, whatever the case might be, a pastor might have to step in and say, no, this cannot continue. And it's going to be viewed perhaps under that definition as somebody trying to take power. Yes. But <laughs> say it's not, though. Yeah. Because to, the congregation like, has given the pastor the authority to make those adjustments. And here's the thing. If authority is being brought to bear on you, it's going to feel like power. But it's a huge difference in attitude because one is I'm the boss and we're going to do what I want. And the other is I am a servant. And I've been given the tools to do to live out my service. And ultimately, kind of where this also plays out is where is it coming from? Because if you're in this attitude of I have power, it is you. If you're saying I, if the attitude is I've been given authority, it is the authority is coming from someone else, whether that in a church setting is the congregation or that is God. So in, in some of those instances, Ben was saying, it's not, I believe this is right. It is God teaches us this is right. And I'm going to bring that authority to bear. Yeah. And I think maybe even another way to think about this, and it's kind of the other end of the the equation here, but you you kind of encouraged us to think about it in terms of like who is driving this or what is driving this. And I think the opposite might also be a good test of like who is this benefiting? Who is this change benefiting? Yeah. Does this power change... looks inward, authority looks outward. Yeah. Which I think is getting back to the question you posed, right? Um of how do we recognize this shift? It is who are you doing things for? Yeah. I think once you start doing things for yourself, it can be really hard to kind of look at yourself and say, because like this is something humanity is excellent at. We're really good at justifying ourselves to ourselves. But if you if you have a trusted friend, someone from the who can kind of more objectively look at the situation, and they say, it really you're starting to make decisions that they're not for the people you're serving, they're for yourself, that can give you an indicator. Right. And yeah, that's true in a church, but that's also true. If you're in any short sort of leadership position in your life, like with a, a parent and kids, are you doing something for their good or are you doing something because you need to feel like you're in charge? Yeah. Uh, it can happen at work. Are you doing something to help the company, to help your employees, or are you doing something because I'm the boss and I do what I want? And if you feel like, if you have the the God-given insight to actually check yourself in some of these situations, um, I to me, the test is, is your life getting better and everyone around you is getting more 
frustrated, stressed, anxious, upset, like, are you trending in opposite directions? And if, if you are, and you can see that there's a, there's a power issue there. Yeah. And something that's a little bit tangential, but I think it's, it might be helpful to bring to mind is there's a, I'm taking a class right now called, oh Lord, it's like teamwork and organizational theory or something. I forget what the course title is. It's Sounds a, like a blast. It's not, I, I mean, it's actually been pretty good. Um, Group and Team Dynamics, that's the name of the class. Um, and we had to read a book and, and do like a, a critique of a book by a gentleman named Pat Lencioni. And it's the ideal team player. And he's looking at specifically in an organizational setting. So this isn't necessarily in a church setting. This is in an organizational setting, especially in a professional setting. He, he draws the conclusion and almost makes the assumption that teamwork is critical in any sort of organization, which I think isn't too far a jump. I think we can run with him on that one. Um, and he says, so what, what makes someone a good team player? Because it's kind of hard to nail down. Like if you ask someone, are you a good team player? They have to be pretty bad before they're going to tell you, no, I don't work well with others. Okay. Or they've just got to have enough bad experiences in group projects that they're not they're no like longer no. trust anyone that they want to work with. And he draw he ultimately he he starts his book going through a fable, like he tells a story, and they get to this conclusion, and they're looking specifically for people who are not. Um, donkeys we'll call them donkeys because this is a family podcast the book uses a different word so if you're going to read this book be prepared go in eyes wide open <laughs> yeah uh and ultimately he settles on three categories that are critical for teamwork for team players the first is they have to be hungry they have to want to grow they have to want to accomplish whatever you're going to set out and we're like okay this makes sense you actually have to want to succeed, you have to want to be excellent. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. And the other is, uh, the second one is, you have to be people smart. You have to be able to read other people. You have to be able to kind of accurately gauge this person has these strengths and these weaknesses. These This is how we can work together. And then the last and the most, this isn't the last, this is the first one he introduces, but I'm, I'm building it for, you know, rhetorical effect. And he says, this is the most important one. If you don't have this one, none of the other ones matter. And it is humility. It is being just as excited for other people's successes as you are for your own. It is being able to recognize and admit when you screwed up and not just admit that to yourself, but admit that to your team. And this plays into organizational dynamics, right? Because if you admit a mistake while it's still just a little mistake, typically those are pretty easy to fix. If you make a mistake and then you build on it and you build on it and you build on it, and finally you're forced to admit the mistake, a lot of times your work to fix it has multiplied. And all this to say, if you're acting with authority, you're acting with that team mentality and with that humility of, I am a servant. 
interacting with power, there's no need for humility because you are the boss. Um, so that's that's kind of what I would, and I would say have a close friend who knows it. Like if you're concerned about this, have someone who knows you look out for this. Because I think it's really hard for you to notice slippage on your own. Yeah, I guess just as a, a brief aside here, I'm assuming this is how your church works too, Josh. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why most of the churches in our denomination, there is a board of people elected by the congregation over the pastor uh, so that the pastor can't get too full of himself. And so much of that was kind of grown out of when the first, uh, not first, first, but like the German immigrants that largely led to the founding of the LCMS came here. One of their first experiences was having to expel a pastor that abused a pastor, the pastor, their guy. Yeah, the leader of their whole expedition who brought them from Germany to America to settle a Lutheran colony, basically, in Missouri, of all places. Um, they had to expel him for abusing his position. And they literally sent him up the river. They just sent him across the river. They couldn't send him to hell, so they sent him to the next best thing, Illinois. Um, they, well, let's... Well, I guess they couldn't have sent him to hell, but they could have tried. <laughs> There's a line. I'm not commenting on his wisdom or on his righteousness, but there is a line that is credited to Vladimir Putin. I uh -oh. forget what conflict it was in reference to. But he said, it is God's job to forgive these people. It is my job to send them to him. I was like, oof, oof. That's a killer mentality. So yeah, they could have said they could have sent Martin Stefan to Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, no, we do uh in most churches it's it's the board of elders. Um and probably some combination of the board of elders and the board of, or like the a council or a management team, like leaders, yeah, leadership team, that whatever, gets whatever called call a lot it. of different things depending on your church. Yeah, the board of and elders is pretty consistent. Yeah, whoever is is kind of overseeing the, um, the spiritual life and spiritual care of your church. And whoever is overseeing the more practical side of your church, yes. each of them is going to have power in different places to uh, remove abusive pastors if the need is there. And I and, would also have, so this is one of the reasons the LCMS, we are not big on celebrity pastors. They exist in our denomination, but they are they were, not, they are not necessarily well-loved. <laughs> And usually they, they're celebrity not because their church is huge, but because they write good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that is a good thing, right? I, I do not think that a pastor of a congregation should be a celebrity. Um, I am resistant to the idea that people would go to a church because of a pastor. Um. 
I, I think that's I really disagree with that. I well, disagree with that. Here's my problem. What when the pastor moves on? If they stop going to church, I think you've created a problem. Because they are not grounded in going for the right reasons. Yes and no. If a pastor starts if you're listening from Edgewater and I move on for whatever reason, uh, you better still go to church. You are not will, going to church for me. I will echo that sentiment at Good Shepherd, but I will also say I completely understand because we know that there are people like the pastors and people who struggle with power and abusing power that we're talking about today that can drive people single-handedly out of a church. I will acknowledge that there might be times where you are church homeless, even if you want to have a church, because there is no congregation near you that you feel safe uh, or capable of worshiping at. That's fair enough. Well, and those are two separate things, right? I can acknowledge that there are pastors that are bad enough that people will leave because of the pastor. Mm -hmm. that, I have no disagreement with. Um, or just like the purely the the mental history of I've struggled with abusive or borderline abusive pastors in the past. And so this particular pastor showing me that there is another option or another like model of pastor, basically, there can be good ones. And then them moving on, like, I can understand the human reaction to, like, how am I ever going to learn to trust again? Yeah, it fair. took me years to figure this one out. So I'm I'm very much against speaking in absolutes here. But okay. I, I generally tend to agree with Josh. You should not choose your church for your pastor. And but so I can understand why people do. In the LCMS, you don't get a lot of celebrity pastors and i have no problem with that and i also suspect that's one of the things that plays into we don't have a lot of mega churches because that's not how we approach things and i don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah um i don't know about you josh but um i've ad i've adopted a kind of rule of thumb that my vicar supervisor gave me which is if a congregation ever reaches a size where I feel like I can't reasonably shepherd the whole thing, it needs to church plant. I would agree with that. Like if it if you I get think you point, have to be strategic with that. Yeah. And I would almost because we've seen I think that was maybe the attitude a few decades ago. And I think some of the fallout from that is if those churches shrink, you have a bunch of little churches that are all really close together who now have built up their own identities and they won't come back together. Yeah. So maybe better than church planting, I would say maybe you do satellite campuses. So you're still one church in different places with different pastors but there's still some level of unity in the organizational structure. And that way, if the churches start to recede, your path to downsizing, I think, I mean, it's not easy, right? Because there are still people going to be people who get attached to this is my location. This is my whatever. Um, 
but I think you probably remove some roadblocks for the future if you approach it from a satellite perspective instead of from a we're going to start an entirely separate congregation or just a revitalization perspective of like so my circuit here in north oakland we've got i think nine churches in the circuit um and of that six of them are good, stable, healthy congregations. Three of them, one of them's a mission congregation that's supported by a lot of other churches in the district at the moment, um, though that's kind of changing. One of them has become a satellite campus of one of the other churches in the circuit, but still operates semi-independently. And then one of them is just, it's it's running into some issues because of its, like, it's past to some extent. Um, and they're just kind of in a tough spot. But, like, I could, if this church exploded, reasonably say to some of my folks, hey, we have another sister congregation 10 to 15 minutes up the road. If you live closer to that one, Go support them. Go jump over there. Help them afford a full-time pastor. Help them continue yeah. to grow and do do things in their area. And if you live closer to that one already, like, great. Go support your local community church. I know that's not necessarily an option where you're at, Josh, but, like... No, there aren't enough of us nearby. Um, yeah. But, like, there are some areas where that's possible. Yeah. I think if we get better at this attitude of we are the church... Instead yeah. of we are a bunch of individual churches. Yeah. Yeah. But, and the other thing with satellites, I'll give them more credit for, is they make resource sharing a lot easier. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go in with the, with the attitude of, but, like, we want to plant another congregation and we want to cooperate with this congregation to the best of our abilities and share resources and like all of that's there from the outset. I don't think you necessarily need to view it as a a satellite. You can still have it be its own independent thing. But like so I mean, we're I mean, we're way down a sidebar. Yeah, here. we're like, so much of this to me is just like how we view our churches rather than Yeah. Which the advantage of like a satellite added and it, you don't have to call it that, but it, it gives you the imagery of this is a network rather than this is, a, this is our tree and that's their tree, but they're separate trees. They're the same species of tree, but they're separate trees. Um, anyway, and they operate this, like fungi. Yeah. With, oh, what do they call them? There's a species of mushroom that I can't remember what it's called, which is, I know, very helpful, but, like, we'll cover football field-sized areas with caps, but it's all connected underground through, um, shoot, what are they called? They're a not roots. System? What? A root system? I don't know. It's not roots, but, like, I mean, that's kind of the idea, is we want to be we are already invisibly connected one church to another. So let's 
let's use those connections. Yeah. And use them so the whole system grows. Yeah. Which again, that when you're taking any of these approaches, whether it's planting different churches, sending people to revitalization, um, or doing a satellite approach, all of it circles back to this point of is your attitude we have the power or we have authority? Yeah. Is your attitude I'm a boss or I am a servant? Because the faithful, the right way for us to approach all of it is we are servants. We are, I mean, this is this is biblical, right? We are servants of all. We are, we are, I forget the exact phrasing because Paul's doing something clever with it. But we're we're called and servants is a, is a because we're uncomfortable saying what the most literal direct translation is we are slaves to all uh, do us yeah i love that we in the same sentence we'll translate that word two different ways because we're uncomfortable saying we're slaves um but that's a whole separate shtick yeah and I think so, is it maybe appropriate at this point to to start to step toward how do we how do we keep this keep it a, an attitude of authority, not an attitude of power? Yeah, and like even just thinking about thinking about it in the perspective of um, if you have if you have a position that has granted you authority. How do you as a Christian faithfully use that towards God's end and God's means rather than uh, towards serving your own? Um, and I think that, I mean, because that, that's the, the biggest piece of the puzzle is like, how do you keep your attention on God when you have those opportunities to face temptation, that power or that those kind of decision making um uh, roles provide you um and a couple things come to mind for this uh -huh. um the first is you have to get in routines that are going to put your focus in the right spot and maybe that's as simple as every morning you wake up you're washing your face and you look in the mirror and on your mirror in Expo, you have written, how is what I plan to do today serving the people of my congregation? If you're a pastor, how is, if you're not, how is what I plan to do today serving my family, my coworkers, my employees? Like, how am I serving? And then how is what I plan to do today serving God? And you start and whatever it takes to get that into your routine where you are constantly thinking or maybe not constantly, but at least regularly thinking, how am I serving in whatever my role is? Um, and some other things that kind of keep this in balance, you got to bring other people in. We talked about earlier how hard it can be for you to check yourself on this stuff. So have other people who will call you out if you're getting too full of yourself. Um, and then this is something I'm a big fan of is impersonal systems that don't let you take advantage of power. 
an example for finance, like financially. I actually, I have it right here. Um, every month, I'm gonna cover part of this. Every month, I have to fill out a check request form for everything that I've spent on the church card, everything I've spent on my own card that I'm getting reimbursed for, uh, mileage, whatever, other than my salary that the church is giving me money for. I have to fill it out. I have to include a breakdown of my expenses. And I have to include any receipts that I have. We are a church with one person and I spend less, like, I spend less than a percent of the budget a month with everything I spend money on. Sometimes I think this is overkill. This, because it's sometimes it's a pain in the tail to fill out all this paperwork. But I guarantee I'm not going to be misusing the church's money because there's, there is a robust system in place that you just got to do it. Um, something that I do with my preaching is I have a, uh, a workflow in Logos that I go through for every sermon. And what I mean by that is in seminary for your very first sermon, you do something called the sermon prep project. It ends up probably for most guys, it probably ends up being somewhere between 30 and 45 pages of material. And there are a bunch of questions you have to think about and answer and, and talk through. And they say, you're probably never going to do this again. But I know myself and I know if I have no source of accountability holding me to it, I, at this point in my young career, I would not be doing any of it. So I made this workflow that asks most of those questions. Some of those questions I've like combined and condensed uh, because they, I felt like they were a little redundant. But I don't get to start writing my sermon until I have filled out every single blank on that form. I can't start to abuse it because there is an impersonal system that says you have to do this. And you can implement that wherever you're at, right? Where if there is some sort of avenue where you could abuse your power, just make it really inconvenient, bordering on impossible to do. And then you're probably good. It's the same thing with child protection policies. If you don't allow any adult to be in a room with kids without another adult who's not related to them, uh, you have strict ratios for how many kids to how many adults. Uh, our, we're a small church. Our child protection policy is, it's like 30 pages long of all these rules for how we interact adults and kids to make it impossible. Or I shouldn't say impossible to make it incredibly unlikely that anything inappropriate ever happens. You, if you put systems in place, you can prevent a lot of stuff from going wrong. You just have to put some thought in ahead of time for where it could. Yeah. We have policy, like at Edgewater, if, if you're from Edgewater and you didn't know this, we have policies for all sorts of stuff. We have policies for how I go about doing baptisms, who I do weddings for, who I do funerals for, how I go about doing weddings and funerals and baptisms. Like we, we have at least some guidelines nailed down for all of this to prevent future problems. Um, and also it gives me a nice cop out because I can say, I, I can't do that. It's against our policy. Yeah. I, I think 
setting and having guidelines is incredibly big piece of things but guidelines and, and policies and and those th kinds of things are only as good as the people who are in them so as much as anything else for the me, people who enforce them not even like you can keep going i didn't mean to kill your momentum For me, it's all about continuing to work on character. Because if you're never, like, if you're not coming back to, to question your character, why you're doing the things you're doing, why you're setting things up specific ways, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, you can have all the policies you want in place, and even people who are good at uh, enforcing those policies. But we there are always ways way to get around them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. There are always creative ways to get around things. Um, speaking to a master of that from my younger days. Um, and so, like, the. Benjamin Oldslogger would never circumvent a system for his own purposes. Yeah. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he was. Laborious definitely didn't do that kind of stuff at the seminary still. Anywho. Wait, I have I have a great phrase that can cap that part of the conversation. Sure. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yeah. Sometimes if like if you put and Ben, I feel like you'll identify with this. If you put a system in front of me that just makes my life inconvenient for no reason, I'm going to break it because you put it in front of it. Yeah. You put a glass bowl in front of me with a hammer and expected me not to hit the bowl with the hammer. Like, that's on you, not on me. Yeah. Yeah. Hide your hammers when I come to your houses. For, for me, it's as much of just about like, even if something is well-meaning and well-designed, if it's inefficient, I hate it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And so, like, I don't I don't mind a little bit of inefficiency if it leads to a, a more faithful product in the end. Like, if... I keep like general track of what I do on a day in day out basis, kind of like this chunk of time I was doing this kind of thing. So like today, um, this morning I've worked on some education stuff for uh, confirmation. I've um, started prepping for Sunday a little bit. I've like, but I would classify pretty much this whole day as just like, um, administration and prep i wouldn't necessarily like break it down into 15 minute increments if somebody made me break it down into 15 minute increments i would hate that but like i try to keep a general like general track on what i'm doing so that i can kind of like let people know if i'm overexerting myself in one area or another um and I can usually remember back enough 
what I was working on that led to things taking so long that um, I spent all that time in the first place. But again, that's a minor inefficiency that allows me to communicate better in the in the future, which might be a a worthwhile thing. Where the major inefficiency of having to keep track of every minute of every day would just drive me bananas. Um, and like to the point where I know that I would struggle with that. And all of that is to say. That's why for me, character is a bigger deal. Because if you find somebody of good character, and I'm not necessarily saying that I am the like archetype of great character, I have flaws that I need to work on for sure. But as long as I'm trying to work on that, and as long as I'm I'm being held in check on some of those things, there's a lot less wiggle room for me to abuse my position and power that I think there would be even if there was policies in place. So character development and people to encourage you and hold you accountable in that character development, far more important to me than any sort of policy. <clears throat> and I think that kind of brings us to maybe a good opportunity for takeaways here, Josh. Um, where like we know that being put in a situation where you are given power can cause problems we know that there are issues with that in the church just as there are issues with that in the secular world um so if you are trying to get somebody to take one thing away from this about how we as as christians use power or use authority or handle these positions, what would that be? I think my major takeaway for you guys uh, today, I almost said this morning and I was like, that. I can't control when you listen to it. Um, it's Just like you can't tell us what to do. Is to approach any authority, any any position of power or authority you have with the attitude of a servant in that you're using it to serve others. Because I think if, if we keep that attitude front and center, a lot of these other problems are not going to become problems because we're constantly being, how can I serve the people around me? What about you, Ben? What's your takeaway for the day? Watch the movie Dune. Oh, fair enough. Part one. Oh, I forgot um, to circle that into you. Yeah, there's a great scene in the new Dune movie that came out in 21, uh, where if you haven't read Dune or seen Dune, there's a lot of nerdiness that goes on there. I had to stop like 10 times in the first 20 minutes of the movie to explain things to my wife as we were watching it the other day. Um, but I mean... There's just, there's enough background material that it could be complicated. Well, hasn't he written like 27 books in that series? I don't know how many Herbert was directly responsible for, but they're like, between he and his, so Frank Herbert, the author, one of his kids 
and I think a couple of other ghostwriters have kind of taken up the series. So it's gigantic. Um, but if you're looking for something to read. Uh, but within the, the new movie, there's this great scene where the main character and his father are literally in a cemetery, kind of reminiscing on how uh, his father came to power and how it kind of reflects on his approach. And the takeaway from that whole scene was the best kind of attitude to take into rising into a position of authority or power is to not want it. Because if you're in a position where you want that power, you want that authority, you want that ability to affect and control change, chances are that you are, you've got blinders up somewhere in terms of how you're seeing the situation and your ability to read and react to things. But if you aren't necessarily actively seeking out a position of power and authority, that gives, that puts you in a much better position to, to see how the world is actually operating and come into it with a mindset of like, here's where the inefficiencies are. Here's where the abuses of power are. Here's where the sin is that we need to correct and improve. So that's my takeaway, Josh. Um, and it, it seems like it's probably time to remind people to, you know, like subscribe to the places that we publish this on. And uh, yeah, do that. <laughs> We're on all the big ones. And some of the small yeah. ones, like I occasionally get emails, claim your podcast on podunkpodcast.net. And I'm like, I no, I'm not going to, but that's okay for, for hosting us, I guess. Um, yeah. So subscribe that helps the podcast that helps our, our egos, I guess a little bit. Um, let us know if there's stuff that you want us to talk about on the, on the podcast. Um, and if you need a way to do that, cause you don't have a way to directly contact us. Our Facebook page is always an option. We check it. Ish. Ish. And, uh, if you want to come on the podcast, we'd love to have you. We're, uh, kind of scheduled out maybe for, for a minute for, for a hot minute here, but, but we'll get you on the schedule. We will. Um, because Speaking we love to of, talk. Season five next week, everybody. You've been waiting for a long time, and we're finally there. Yep, it's gonna be a blast. We've even yeah. planned. We've even planned for this. Yeah, it's dangerous. There's a spreadsheet in everything, folks. Yep. With that, I think we're that's all of our plugs. Buy our shirt, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.